Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I am Sam Eagle, and these are some important safety instructions Excuse for me, you. Sam, Sam. Well, you can relax now. Everything's under control, and uh, we'll be on our way to the end of our moon without any further delay. To your right, if you saw this summer's blockbuster film Pearl Harbor starring Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett, you probably recognize these airplanes. Yo, Kermit, my main frog. Uh, what is it, Floyd? We're gonna need a couple of more seconds to get this gig swinging. What? Every man's a king and every king's a clown. Once again, it's topsy-turvy day. Hello, hi there. Welcome to my park. How you doing? Hello. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Disney MGM Studios proudly presents Sorcery in the Sky. Lights. Camera. Action. W. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WWE Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 737, and together, as we have been since 2005, we're going to celebrate the magic and the people of the Disney parks, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video every Wednesday night, events, blog, and more. Please be sure to join the community at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, and find everything at www.radio.com. So I invite you to please join me this week as I sit down with cast member Rob Lott as he shares his journey, stories, and lessons from onstage, backstage, and even as a friend of some of your favorite characters. From the hoop doo to Dapper Dan's to Tokyo Disney Sea. We discuss not just his career, but the hows and whys of creating Disney magic. Then stay tuned for a Disney trivia question of the week, where you can enter to win a Disney prize package from Disneyland Paris, and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. It takes people to make the dream a reality. And for a company that is rooted in storytelling, it's the people who are the storytellers, both on stage and off. And there is an art and artistry to sharing the gift of bringing laughter and joy to countless people of multiple generations from around the world that come to visit the Disney parks. And one of those talented performers and artists is my next guest, Rob Lott. You may not know him by name yet, but I know you know many of his friends. So I want to welcome actor, director, reader, writer, thinker, podcaster, and according to him, a speaker upper, Mr. Rob (laughs) Lott. Rob, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, Lou. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, we, we'll get to this in a little bit, but I, I remember standing on stage and seeing you out in the house and I had an opportunity to make my plea from the stage to be on the show. And I took my shot. And so here we are. Here we are. And so to be clear, the stage you are talking about is the stage of the hoopty doo review. Yeah. So we'll, uh, yeah. we'll get to that. That was a, it was for me, I'll tell you, man, I, that was like such a fun, cool, very unexpected, right? We, <laughs> we've sort of met before, but mm-hmm. we've never actually spoken. So, um, yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun, interesting, um, I, I think conversation. So let, let's start with you, right? Let's, I'm a, I'm a big fan of sort of the, the superhero origin story. So tell me about, <laughs> You know, the little kid from Ohio that just dreamt, yeah. you know, stars in his eyes that dreamt of being in show business. Yeah. So I, I absolutely, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it was. Um, I grew up in a, a town, it's a city now, but at the time it was a, it was a small town of Green, Ohio. And I, I've long said, you know, I, I grew up in Green, Ohio. I went to Green High School where our colors are orange and black. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it was just that kind of a city, that kind of a small town that was like, we don't need to, we don't need to explain ourselves. This is just who we are. This is what we do. And, you know, I was, I was about, I want to say I was about like four or five generations Ohio. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things in the Midwest, you, you, you are born, you are raised, you grow up, you live and you work and you die there in that same place. You know, nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, but it's just, you know, it's, it's a very common thing to just stay where you are, live your life there. And I knew that I wanted to do other things. Um, I've known from a very, I'm, I, I'm a very rare breed of people that has always known what he wanted to do. Um, and that is that I wanted to be in show business in some way, shape or form. And uh, I didn't I didn't care if it was on stage, backstage, um, you know, just I, I just wanted to be around it. I wanted to be around those people. I wanted to be around what was happening on the stage. I was drawn to it. I was drawn to stage doors. I was drawn to theater lobbies. I was drawn to just I just want to be there. I just want to be around it. And there wasn't, you know, I, I grew up in a community that certainly valued the arts. And at the same time, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to make that my living. And so when the time came and I graduated from high school, um, I was all set and ready to go to Ohio State and I was going to play in the Ohio State University marching band. And uh, that was the plan. That was the goal. I was going to study music and uh, and, you know, find find my find my way that way. Uh, but it was that summer right after my high school year, um, my senior year of high school that I, a buddy of mine said, Hey, they're having auditions, uh, down in Orlando, uh, for some gigs, uh, down there to work at Walt Disney world. And Rob, I know you, you like that. You, you should go down and audition. And so, um, yeah, I, was, I, I thought to myself, okay, I'm, I'm not going to put all my eggs in this basket. I have a plan here in Ohio, uh, but I, you know what? I'll go and I'll audition and we'll, I'll, we'll see what happens. If it's, if it's a no, then it's a no. And I'll have my other thing to do. If it's a yes, great. Um, so I came, uh, I went to, to audition at Dr. Phillips high school and, uh, they were looking for puppeteers and I just happened to be right place, right time with the right talent. And uh, I auditioned and they offered me the job right there in the room. And they said, so when can you start? And I said, I don't live here. And (laughs) they said, okay, uh, so when can you be here? When can you be living here? I said, can you give me a month? So the audition was in September and I started, my first day was on October 16 of the year 2000. 
I was hired for a show called Legend of the Lion King, uh, where, you know, I, I see the look on your face. You remember it. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners remember it. It's where Mickey's PhilharMagic is now. Um, and we told the entire story of the Lion King um, every day, 32 times a day in an in an 18-minute show. Uh, we did the entirety of it over and over and over again. And so, yeah, I was, um, at the time when I first started, I played the roles. I started in Mufasa and then went into um, Scar. I was what was called all the big mouth puppets. So Mufasa <laughs> into Scar into Adult Simba. And, uh, yeah, and then I, I learned some other uh, roles there as well, where I, I got to learn Cub Simba and uh, then get to do some other fun things with that. And uh, so, yeah, I started out as a puppeteer at Walt Disney World. So, wait, I got to stop and, you there, right? Because yeah. every kid who might be listening is like, Mom, that's what I, I want to be a puppeteer, too. <laughs> so are you are you trained as a puppeteer or, like, did you take your, you know, Toys R Us Kermit the Frog puppet and just sit in front of the mirror all day. I'm not saying I did that as a kid, but maybe a couple times <laughs> thinking this is that's it. This the one. Is, this is my shot. I'm going to yeah. uh, have a career as a puppeteer. No, that's the one. I, basically, I I grew up and you know, I don't know if it, I don't know if it was chicken or the egg. I I don't know what has drawn me to puppetry. I've always been a fan of good puppetry. Um, you know, of course Muppets, of course Sesame Street. Um, I watched Sesame Street long past when I should have stopped watching Sesame Street. And I think it was it was a couple of things. I enjoyed the writing um, of the sketches that they would do, like, uh, you know, the kind of the, the takeoffs and the, and the things, uh, you know, making fun of, uh, of just pop culture at the time, but then making it educational. I enjoyed that, but I also enjoyed the puppetry aspect of it. Um, there's a, a, a ventriloquist named Ron Lucas. Um, he had a special that was the number one special for the entire decade, um, on the Disney channel. It was the number one special for the entire decade of the 1980s on the Disney channel. And, uh, I watched his, his special was on after school every day, all the time. And I would come home and I would just watch it over and over and over again. Uh, and, and again, just also a great character creator, um, great, great ventriloquist, but also a great puppeteer. And so I watched a lot of that and I've always been good at kind of watching things and being able to emulate it, being able to mimic it, being able to copy it and go, okay, I, I see what they're doing. And I, I know, I think I can do that myself. And so that was something, yeah, it was exactly, I didn't have any kind of special training other than being able to watch and see it and then being able to copy it and emulate it. But then you get to Walt Disney World and uh, there's a whole team of specialists, literally what are called puppet specialists that teach you um, all of the shows and all of the, uh, teach you all the puppetry for all of the shows. And uh, so shout out to James Silson, Scott Silson, uh, James Domoyer. Uh, these guys uh, got me started and gave me a place to be as a puppeteer um, there at Walt Disney World. And so, yeah, that was where I started. Well, and I like this, this story, too. And, you know, part of what I do from from a business side of things is, is I love this idea. And I know that you were young, but there was there was risk involved, right? Because you were enrolled like you had sort of your you know, quote unquote, your, your plan, your roadmap. I was yeah. going to go to school. I was going to go do this thing. You now have to say, uh, mom, dad, I'm going to put college on hold. I'm going to go <laughs> play with puppets in Disney world. But, but I do, but I love this because it, it's sort of the, the what if, right? Cause it's, yeah. the, what if it works as opposed to, you know, having the regret years later, what if I would have tried? I wonder what happened if I would have taken that, that opportunity. So at a young age, you know, that's, that's a, it is a relatively large risk to take in the, in pursuit of this thing that you knew you wanted to do. 
Yeah, my I am so I am so blessed and so thankful for uh, the family that I was born into, the parents that raised me. Um, my sister um, is a is a uh, she's an author, she's a writer, um, she's a published and and has written um, some some New York Times bestselling books, and she is great with that. But she started um, actually as a second grade teacher. That's what she wanted to be from a very early young age. And, uh, and so in having conversations with my older sister, my, my mom would say, well, there's really only one way that you get to be a teacher. Uh, if that's what you want to do, then you need to go to school and study elementary education and then do your student teaching and you get your, your teaching certificate. And then you are allowed to teach second grade. That is, that's the path. That's the only way that it's going to happen for you. Rob, you want to work in show business. Uh, there's no one way to do it. And even if you were to go to school for it, even if you were to get your degree in theater or music, there's no guarantee that you get to make a living right away at that. And so they recognized that. And in doing so, they said, well, here's this opportunity right in front of you. College is always going to be there. It's always going to be available. But here's an opportunity for you to do what you love, do what you're passionate about, do this thing where your where your passion lies. And why wouldn't we support that. So uh, shout out to the parents. I know I'm doing a lot of shout outs here on your show. Shout out to the parents who are supporting and encouraging. Uh, there, there was a, a uh, there's a, a, a verse, a Bible verse that my parents had, and it was uh, this idea of raise up a child in the way that they should go. Mm-hmm. And they, something that occurred to them and was, was shared with them is going very often parents want to raise, a, raise up a child in the way that the parent thinks the child should go. But really, if you look at it, if you look at the text, it's raise up a child in the way that they should go. Pay attention to their passions, the things they're naturally interested in, the ways that they want to spend their time. Pay attention to those things and encourage that. Push them down that path. And that's what happened. And so that's why I was able to, right out of high school, pack up a car. My mom drove down with me. She flew back, left the car with me here in Orlando. And uh, I got started working at Walt Disney World. I love that, man, because it's not just the support, but the trust in you and that you knew what you wanted, you knew what you wanted to do. And I tell people all the time, sometimes, you know, the support doesn't necessarily come from our parents or our siblings or even close friends, but it's finding those people that believe in what you do. As you started to tell the story about your sister, I'm like, he's going to say... You know, your sister is a neurosurgeon and she won a Nobel Peace Prize on the side. So you need to do that, too. You're, so but I, I love the fact that they they saw that um, they, they saw that vision uh, and then probably got a couple of free hoopty do tickets as. as, a, as a thank you. <laughs> well, I will say, yes, it is true. My family, my parents especially have not bought a ticket to Walt Disney World in uh Probably since, uh, yeah, 1999. And you saved him tuition, too, which is nice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As having two kids in college now, I understand what a, what a blessing and benefit that is. Um, all right, so you, you're you in Legend of the Lion King in fantasy, yeah. and you're being taught by the best of the best of the best um, in a place that obviously I'm, I'm assuming – you had either been to or wanted to visit or or loved sort of the Disney parks as a kid? Yeah, so much so. So um, my mom mentioned her before. Uh, my mom is uh, was in the 1980s. She was a, a world-class uh, top 10 in the country uh, Tupperware sales lady, <laughs> Tupperware lady. And so uh, as you might recall, uh, the headquarters of Tupperware are in Kissimmee, Florida. 
And so it was pretty standard, pretty regular that they would bring everybody to Kissimmee, Florida from the region uh, and, and bring everybody down on this side of the country. They would bring everybody Everybody here and uh, Orlando would be bombarded with minivans from all all around the country. Tupperware lady minivans filled with their with their their kids and their families. And um, and so they would do two or three days of training of here's all the new products for Tupperware. And and yes. And then uh, we would treat the rest of the week as vacation. And so we would go and uh, visit the parks at the time. My parents would buy the seven day um, uh, the, the park hoppers that never expire. So we would use two or three of those days a year and then come back the next year and use two or three more days and then come back the next year and just keep adding to as needed. Uh, and so, yeah, I have very vivid memories of growing up visiting Walt Disney world, not necessarily every summer, uh, but pretty much every summer, um, as I was, uh, probably until I was, uh, I want to say probably, uh, seven, eight or nine years old. And yeah, and my, my mom has a story of me sitting on Main Street USA. I don't necessarily remember this, but sitting on Main Street USA, watching the parade go by. And I looked up at her and I said that I want to do that. And she said, well, uh, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm still trying to get, uh, the, I get the, a little choked up every time I tell that story. Yeah. But. I, uh, as you're telling the story, I'm sort of in, picturing in my mind's eye, the parking lot of the conventions that are just filled with Ford Aerostars and moms coming out, <laughs> spraying stiff stuff in their hair and getting ready to go into the convention centers, <laughs> dragging, uh, dragging their kids behind. All right. So you're, you're a performer at yeah. Legend of the Lion King. Where started a Legend of the Lion King. What does that and take then, you next? Uh, then there were, there were other shows uh, also that I learned as a puppeteer. There's a show called Pocahontas and her forest friends at uh, right there at Animal Kingdom. It was uh, across from where Festival of the Lion King used to be there in Camp Mini Mickey. Um, and so I played Grandmother Willow and Sprig for that. And then also learned Voyage of the Little Mermaid. I learned Sebastian for that one. And I also ended up uh, learning Ursula uh, as well. And um, and then uh, there was uh, also a show called Bear in the Big Blue House, live on stage there at Disney, now I'm gonna the cry. Disney MGM now Studios. I'm yeah. going to be the one who's, yeah, my kids, <laughs> we spend a lot of time on the floor of Playhouse oh, man. Disney live on stage and Bear in the Big yeah. Blue House. And yeah, so I, I was Pip and Pop to start with the Little Purple Otters. Uh, I was one puppeteer that performed both of those characters at the same time, which was, it was incredibly, it was super fun, but also very challenging because you just had to isolate your right hand from your left hand and have them have these completely different personalities and different, you know, uh, they, they both would have one, there was a thing called the otter rap. And one guy did the majority of the rap and the other guy was kind of the hype man behind uh, doing it. So uh, they would both say some things together, but they wouldn't say same, the same thing at the same time. And it was it was a very, you know, when you when you mastered the otter rap, it was like, OK, you've done it. You've done it. You are now a, a bona fide puppeteer at Walt Disney World. Uh, so that and then, yeah, that became Playhouse Disney Live on stage now. OK, so so here's what's going on behind the scenes then while all of that is happening is that I'm getting together with a couple of guys uh, just on our own, just for fun. And we are singing barbershop harmony and doo-wop and rockapella type stuff, just getting together at, at, at each other's houses. And somebody has a pitch pipe and we'll, we'll just start singing these tunes and bringing stuff from our high school music days and uh, all that stuff. So we're doing that. And lo and behold, there was an audition for um, Hong Kong Disneyland was about to open and they were looking for a cast of Dapper Dan's to go there. Mm. 
And so uh, we went, now we weren't very good. Okay. <laughs> Let me be very clear. We, <laughs> we were not very good. We went and we auditioned uh, and we got about a song and a half in and the casting director waved his hand. And I thought for sure it was, thank you guys. That's all we need. Off you go. But instead he goes, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, the group that's in Tokyo right now, I'm going to send them to be the Dapper Dans in Hong Kong. I'm going to send you guys to Tokyo. Uh, it's a 13 month contract. All of you need to say yes. I'll give you the month. Uh, I'll give you the weekend to think about it. But the contract starts in about a month. Wow. And so we all looked at each other wide eyed. And and so I spent a year then uh, working at Tokyo Disney Sea. Uh, with the Dockside Porters, uh, which is a barbershop quartet there. So, the, yeah, these are kind of the kind of the big headline chapters. Yeah, I mean, we could spend an entire day just talking about Disney Sea, but again, these opportunities that present themselves that you have to sort of almost immediately make this snap decision. You know, it's different going from Ohio to Orlando. It's a little bit more accessible now. All of a sudden, <laughs> you need to pick up your life what yeah. you can fit into your carry-on bag and right. go across the world to a yeah. country I'm assuming you've probably never visited before to sp in a language that you're probably not all that familiar with. Uh, all of that say, is true. Yeah, so talk to me about that experience, what getting to Tokyo was like, um, and, and even, yeah. you know, culturally, the, the, the Japanese culture, the Japanese Disney guests, it's, it's sort of very different than it mm -hmm. is here in America. Talk to me a little bit about your experience at... at the most beautiful Disney park on the planet, oh, man. I think, which is Disney Sea. Yeah, and I, I was not prepared. And listen, if, if for for listeners that have visited Tokyo Disney Sea and Tokyo Disneyland, um, you get this, and I and I I've never heard anybody dispute this. Um, but for those of you who have not heard, who have not visited, all of the hype that you hear about these parks and how beautiful and how over the top and how just it is everything is just extra all the time everywhere everywhere all the time and uh and so um i, I don't think that we can overstate how beautiful these parks are and how stunning and how exciting they are. But uh, getting there. Yeah, it was, um, we were allowed two big giant bags. And uh, so, yeah, you pack up your life and you head there. This was a little bit, um, you know, cell phone, everybody having a cell phone was not quite yet um, a thing. So, uh, you know, everybody's kind of still communicating through email and uh, uh you know skype was not yet necessarily a thing so we were kind of communicating we once we got there if we wanted to call home we had those you know phone cards you bought minutes on uh stuff like that and uh but yeah once we got there the, yeah the the disney parks there and the guests who visit there um are incredibly they are uh incredibly kind incredibly um uh they are compliant of and and when I say that, what I mean is like if you ask them from stage, if you ask an audience to do something, they're like, "Yep, we're doing it." Whereas in the United States, you gotta you gotta push a little bit more. You gotta you gotta build a little bit more trust. You have to like, "Hey, hey, everybody, what do you think about doing this?" And you can't right away say, "Hey, everybody, follow me. We're learning this choreography. This is what we're gonna do as a crowd." But over there, they are in it. They love it. They're and they just want to very respectful. Right? Yeah, it's incredibly. A, it's a, yeah. 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 So, so yeah, we, we ended up because it is owned by a um, it's owned by the Oriental land company and they license the IP of Disney. Um, this is all public information. Um, uh, so as 
I was hired as a contractor, um, as a foreign performer contractor there. And we all actually, they built a big giant um, uh, apartment building for all of us foreign performers who came. So it's about a 300 room apartment building. And we would, uh, you know, it was e-village and we would come and go from e-village on a regular basis every morning. Uh, we could, they would give us a, a train ticket and we would go to the train station, which was a, a little bit of, you know, it's about a quarter mile walk away from the apartments. We'd hop on the train, the train would take us to the parks and we would go in through the employee entrance. But because we were contractors and not necessarily employees of uh, Tokyo Disney Sea, um, we did have to buy purchase um, annual passes. But that was a really easy decision to do because, um, again, when else are we going to be there? And so we bought annual passes. And so pretty much every day, every night, um, you know, after work, we would go around the corner. Sorry about that. We would go around the corner and uh, and and go into the park and experience the park every night and go to the different restaurants and go and do the the different attractions and things and it's it was fantastic it was it was a great life for uh, for thirteen the thirteen months that I was there it was fantastic I am sure there's there's moments that you probably whether you were performing for guests or acting as a guest there were pinch me moments like I cannot believe mm-hmm. I'm getting paid. To, to be here. Um, yeah. And I get this question all the time, and I, I think we sort of know the answer, but from a, a performer perspective, you're obviously singing songs in English. Talk to me yeah. about the, the challenges or the opportunities that the cultural and the language differences present. So we were working in an area called the American Waterfront. So Tokyo Disney Sea is about all of the different ports of you know the 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 different ports uh, all around the world and so we were working in the american waterfront area and uh so our show director when we got there our show director goes um uh, gentlemen uh would it be okay if you uh only spoke english and we said <laughs> yes that would be fine <laughs> <laughs> that will be okay. Now we did have a few songs and we certainly knew um, some phrases, important key phrases in Japanese. And we did have some songs that we sung in Japanese, but for the most part, our show was in English and, uh, and, and it was encouraged and expected that we speak English. And, uh, and that, that was actually, as you went around um, as, as foreigners in this country, again, respectful and just very welcoming. This it's a very hospitable mm-hmm. um, culture, and so we would sit down at restaurants, and it would be a very similar thing. Of our server would come up and say, um, "Would it be okay if I practiced English with all of you?" <laughs> yes, that would be just fine. Yes, we w- we would welcome it. Um, and so it there were certainly some things. Now um, there's also a um, you know an element of culturally do what is best for everyone mm-hmm. and and also culturally let's do what we've always done because doing what we've always done has been working and so we are going to always do the things the way that we've always done them and there was one day uh that, that we decided and our again our director told us all right guys you have the run of the waterfront you you get to go wherever you want be wherever you want you you run this place character wise story wise Everyone loves you and you have friends in all of the different storefronts. You've got connections everywhere. So wherever you go, whatever you do, you are welcome and you can go around and do whatever you want. Mm. 
you know, within the, within the story of what we, that what we wanted to do was sing together. That was always what we wanted to do. So <laughs> that was the story. Uh, but one day we decided to come out a different door than we had ever come out. And Lou, I tell you, there was no less than three months of meetings to ask <laughs> us, why did you come out that other door? <laughs> and we kept saying after about the third meeting where they would come in to our dressing room and they would say, oh, we just need to get to the bottom of this. Why, why did you go out that other door? And we would say, well, we did it just that one time and we'll never do it again. Okay. Okay. And a week later they come in, oh, we must know, why did you why did you come out that other door? Uh, and so there were certain things that we had to remember. Okay, we are visitors here and we need to do things the way that they expect us to do it. Um, I just spent some time out of the country recently um, and a friend <laughs> friend of ours uh, that was working on the project um, also, uh, they said, um, it's not my culture. I don't have to understand it. All right. <laughs> I just need to comply. I just need to follow along. I just need to do as they tell me to do. And uh, so that, you know, being there is amazing. And like I say, they are incredibly hospitable to people from all around the world visiting. And they know, they know that Tokyo is a destination. Mm. And uh, it's a it's a worldwide destination, and they want to be that, and they are welcoming that. And at the same time, there are some things where it's like, mm, while you're here, please do as we do as we do. Respect has to go both ways, right? The respect, exactly. that, right, that you expect you have to give to to others and the way things are too. So, uh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, in terms of, it's also a culture of service. Like I, I always tell people, if you think that the service at Disney parks domestically is incredible and the best anywhere. Tokyo, Disneyland, and Disney Sea, they sort of turn it up to eleven. In, uh, absolutely. Eleven point five. Right. <laughs> All right. So the end yeah. of your, your 13 months, what happens and, and how do you end up back in the States? Yeah. So I come back to Orlando and uh and so the guy who had initially hired me, um, he and I became friends, uh who hired me uh, uh back in, in October of two thousand. We became friends, we're hanging out a lot, and he calls me up and he goes, Hey Rob, so um would you be uh, interested? All of, you were a puppeteer, a puppeteer with us for almost five years. Would you be interested in taking all of that and teaching it to other, to new performers? Mm -hmm. uh, basically, as I mentioned before, uh, the puppet specialists that would teach us. So, would would you? We have an opening for somebody to kind of to do that as their main gig. Would you want to do that? And I was like, oh man, uh, sure, yeah, that sounds great. So I was then given the opportunity to become a puppet specialist as part of the entertainment show quality team. So this is something that uh, that your listeners might find interesting. You might find interesting. Uh, there's a team at the at the time. Uh, we do things a little bit differently now, but at the time, this was uh, 2006, 2007 when I started. Uh, there's a team of about a hundred people who keep an eye on all of the parades and shows. And their job, our job at the time, was to maintain the quality to the expectation of our guests and to the expectation of our creative team. And so. Uh, we knew, so if, if you can kind of spot them where if you are watching a parade or especially like, um, you know, some of the shorter parades at Magic Kingdom, some of the cavalcades and things, you can kind of spot them where they're following along the parade route, just, just a little bit on the outskirts of where the crowd is and they have a notebook or they have their phone out and they're following along. And what they're doing is they're going to go back after the parade or after the show and they're going to talk to the cast and they're going to say, hey, just as a reminder, remember, these kicks are 45 degrees, not uh, 50, uh, not 50 degrees and not 90 degrees. So uh, that's that's what these kicks are. And remember that we all step off on on our left foot for this on 
count seven of this part of the show, you know, and they're keeping an eye on those things to make sure, because what happens is shows, shows drift. And especially if you're doing, uh, if you're doing the same show day in and day out over and over and over again, um, it drifts where we find new as performers, we find new and efficient, more efficient ways of doing things. And uh, I, I've been kind of saying for years, efficiency is not necessarily, even though it's part of our, our, our five keys, um, efficiency is not necessarily a friend to um, entertainment and show business. Um, we do take the, 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 the path of most resistance. Um, that's where you get stories. We do take the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the route that is more pretty, uh, which <laughs> you is know, why that's efficiency we... is the final key, right? It's the last sort of key yes. in, the, in the hierarchy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so along those lines, it, it is something that we, we're not necessarily, but performers though, we have a way of going, oh, it's easier if I do it this way. It's easier if I round the corner this way. Or, oh, you know what? This sounds a little, if if I say if I say the line this way, it gets a different response. I'm going to try it that way. Or if I, um, you know, if I sing it this way, it's going to create a different chord. Uh, and so there, there are people whose job it is to say, no, 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 I totally get it, but here's what we're doing. Uh, I get that you want to have that variety. I get that, but at the same time, let's come on back and let's do it the way that we... Uh, that we have written and expected you to do it because that is what our guests are expecting. Right. Respect for the process. Uh, Again, same thing here. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So I was brought on to be one of those people for the puppetry of Walt Disney world. And I started at a show called finding Nemo, the musical and uh, was teaching all of the new performers there uh, how to manipulate uh, Marlon and Dory and Nemo and crush and uh, everybody, Squirt, and uh, all of those characters, uh, Bruce, that are involved in telling the story of Finding Nemo uh, there at Disney's Animal Kingdom Theater in the Wild. Uh, and so I, I started doing that. And now, uh, I was doing that. And while I was teaching that, I I ended up just kind of learning the show, uh, as you're prone to do. And so what was fun is that I would, uh, whenever somebody was missing from rehearsal, it was very easy for me to be like, I'll just, I'll just stand in their place, say their lines and, you know, sing their lyrics and do their puppetry. And, you know, I, I can, I rehearsal can continue even though we're missing this one individual. And I would kind of jump in for all of those different roles. And after a couple months of this, the show director pulled me aside and said, Rob, is this something that you want to do? Do you want to be a performer? I said, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's in me. Sure. I would love to do that. And so they um, they said, well, why don't you come to some auditions and uh, let's let's see what we can figure out. And so I went to an audition, uh, didn't learn Finding Nemo, but what I uh, uh, Finding Nemo adjacent uh, is a show called uh, Turtle Talk with Crush there at Epcot. And I ended up uh, getting to learn that and be good friends with Crush um, there at Epcot. And I was doing that. Um, and also during that time, I got a call back and was able to. I auditioned, got a call back, and was able to learn the Hoopty Doo Review um, as the role of Six Bit Slocum. And uh, now, but I was what's called an out of unit sub. And so, what that means is basically like they have to go through everybody who is a status performer before they call me in um, because I was I was somebody working in a different job, a different status, different thing altogether. So, um, to just keep the books straight and easy and understandable, they just had to go through and make sure that. They called everybody else first before they called me in. So I rarely got to do these shows. But when I did get to do those shows, I just, I just, 
bubbled over with excitement and joy and happiness. And I was like, oh, this, I love this. I love this too. I love the behind the scenes, but I also love this part of getting responses from audiences and hearing that applause and hearing that laughter. And if anybody has ever had the opportunity of standing on a stage and when you say something and the audience laughs, it is immediately and irreversibly addictive. And you'll, you will, you will continue chasing that laugh, chasing that applause for the rest of your life. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about, you know, starting off with, with turtle talk with crush, because you went from, you know, you were on stage, but you were off stage, right? You're, you were hidden yeah. as the, the puppeteer and as the voice. And then you get a taste of that as a performer on stage in Tokyo, Disney sea. Now with turtle talk, it, it's sort of this weird mix up of the two right because you're you're yeah. interacting with guests and kids which is uh-huh. a whole different dynamic you i'm assuming you have you know some scripted lines to go off of but there's a lot of improvisation that takes yep. place in here and i also think that you are gifted with the resources and responsibility and opportunity to create memorable and emotional moments for these kids and their family. I'm going to cry. I remember going with my son and watching his brains fall out of his head because (laughs) Crush was talking only to him. You were sort of having this one-on-one conversation that he remembers and we remember. Talk to me a little bit about that dynamic and and what sort of goes into that role as as opposed to the ones that you had before. Um, you're absolutely right. And the, my, my favorite experience, uh, with turtle talk, I happened to be around when this show happened and it was that, um, (laughs) there was a, on new year's Eve, I was working on new year's Eve and there was a show scheduled for, um, 11 50, 11 50 PM (laughs) on new year's Eve. And do you think what do, do you think how many people are clamoring to be over in the land pavilion and uh sorry not the land pavilion uh, uh the seas uh, the seas with uh with with nemo how many people are, are clamoring to be over in that area um as opposed to where the main event is about to happen in 10 minutes and i was just like what why why is this on the schedule why why is this happening and so, so again, I just happened to be present. Um, and in walks this, uh, just one lone family, one family, and they sit on the, on the front bench and they're sitting there and I could tell it was like, listen, we tried, we tried <laughs> to make it to midnight. We're not going to be able to do it, but, uh, okay, there's one, we can do one more thing before we go. What's that we one found, more thing? We found we a do? bench. We found an exactly. empty bench in air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. And what was great is um, Crush came out and just, you're absolutely right. There, there's some scripted elements. There's some, some stuff that Crush will typically always do, but Crush came out and just chatted with this family for about 10, 15 minutes, just chatted and asked questions. Tell me about the human world. I'll tell you about the turtle world. Just, just, let's just have a conversation and strip away all the show elements. And it was exactly that of when you say, you're, you know, your, your son is mine was blown of crush is talking only to me. How great I, you know, I, I know that it does not, 
um, it doesn't check the box of, uh, well, we need to make sure that enough guests are cycling through this attraction on a regular basis in order to justify it being there, in order to justify uh, the cost of all of that stuff. I know that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do these one-off um, one family experiences, but man, when it happens, it's my it's my most favorite thing of just getting to spend that time individually and just they I believe that those are the moments, those are the moments that are that are core, you know, we're we're laying, we're setting the table for core um mm-hmm. core memories to be made. And so yeah, those those are the those are the times that stand out. And I I just I remember that night. And uh, yeah, just getting to talk to that individual family, um, or rather, I remember being present while Crush was talking to that individual <laughs> family, and uh, and it was it was great. But that's, I mean, that's what it's about, right? Because yeah. that is you can't put you sort of reference sort of the you can't put an ROI on that moment for that family because that is going to be the memory that they have and that they share and that they tell others, this is the moment that they become evangelists for this park because of that special time. It's not about the rides. It's not about what they ate. It's not about the character. It's that moment that they had that they're going to tell their friends, their kids are going to have, their kids are going to tell their kids. And you're right. You can't sort of put a price on what that means. My kids have had those moments. They still talk, you know, my daughter's 19, my son's almost 18. They still talk about, memories and special moments that they had in the parks with characters when they were six and seven years old. So that's the kind of moment that crush was able to make for that family. Yeah. And that happens every day, right? It happens every day. Yeah. Sometimes on, on smaller scales. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, um, we used to have, as, as you, as you may recall the, um, the seven service guidelines and, uh, and one of those was um, to thank each and every guest. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, there's tens of thousands of guests coming through every day. Um, not every cast member can thank each and every guest, but it's, if each of us is thanking each and every guest that's in front of us, as the day finishes, um, every guest will have felt welcomed. Uh, they will have felt uh, uh, appreciated for their presence there that day um, and probably multiple times. And I think if all of us, if all cast members are looking for those opportunities, um, as the majority of us are, if we're looking for those individual opportunities to go, what can I do? I can't do something special for everyone, but I can probably do something special for you. And if everybody is looking for those opportunities, um, that's that's. That's the secret sauce, I believe, that that every, makes everybody walk away going, okay, yeah, 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 the parks were great, parades were great, the rides were great, but w- w- let me tell you about this one moment right. that happened. It was a random Tuesday at, at one o'clock in the afternoon, and we had this interaction, and we had this interaction with this cast member, and I think that is the secret sauce that makes people, again, I talk about chasing the laugh, chasing the the applause for the rest of my life. I think people come back to the parks because they are chasing that feeling again. Yeah. And I think, I think too, these are our lessons and inspiration that, that it's not just at Disney, like other businesses can take these things and apply it to what they do. I, I believe that every business is in the relationship business, right? Which is what Disney is in yes. and, and the ability to care at scale about every single guest in, in the way that is, you know, most reasonably possible 
that these are the kind of things that that happen as a result. So, all right. So you are friends with Crush. Yeah. But you are also given an opportunity, dare I say, a responsibility, because the hoop-de-doo is no joke. The hoop-de-doo <laughs> is, you know, if you know and love the hoop-de-doo, you love the hoop-de-doo. And it is yeah. the reason why it is still the longest-running stage show in America. And you pack the house every night. Talk to me about getting the role of Six Bits, who I think, and I'm not just saying it because you're here, but having seen the show multiple times, you know, Six Bits is a special character because he has to do everything that the other, you know, part of the ensemble cast does. But there's something special about his role because of the comedic element that that he brings that I think really helps sort of bind the cast together. Hundred um, percent. So we, <laughs> oh, well, so I'll, I'll tell the story of how we got, how I got into it. Um, I went to an audition, and uh, again, like I said, got a call back and was and was invited then to learn the show. Um, and again, because I, I have a people will will often say, Rob, how can I do what you do? And I was well, I'll tell you what I did, uh, but it's a very windy path. And so you can follow it as best as possible, but everybody kind of needs to find their own way. And again, because I was able to step into those roles at Finding Nemo in the rehearsal room, the pressure was off and I wasn't nervous. I wasn't trying to have a job or keep a job or get a job. I just I was just standing in for these roles and I wasn't nervous about it. And so I was able to have fun with it and bring that personality. And so they kind of saw that from the other side of the table, the creative team, show directors, they saw that from the other side of the table and they said, okay, here's, there's something here that that might work in other places on property. And so um, I went to my leadership at the time and I said, hey, listen, so I'm an emergency sub for the Hoop DD review, but uh, what if we flipped it? What if I was an emergency sub as a puppet specialist and I devoted more time to performing? And they said, well, that sounds like a win-win. We'll still have access to you when we need you, but you'll be able to follow this dream and do this fun thing that you want to do. And so so that's that's what happened. And I um, I went full-time into the hoop Doo review in October of 2013. And uh, yeah, so we, we did... Um, we we always the the hoop de doo review cannot go down as a show. You know, different shows will go down for different reasons, uh, be it weather or technical issues um, or something like that. But the hoop de doo review just cannot it cannot be canceled. It cannot go down. And so we will always put on a show. Uh, we will always do something. That is part of the the DNA of that venue, the DNA of that cast and that show of just going. We will make something happen. And there was one. There was one day when uh, we did not have a a Flora Long performer. Flora is uh, uh, for anybody who's seen the show. Uh, Flora wears the yellow dress. Uh, she is partnered with Jim Handy, the host of the show. And uh, so we did not have a, a Flora Long. And so it was like, oh, you know what? It's okay. We'll figure it out. We will do. Um, we will we'll still be able to do the show, um, but we'll just you know everybody will kind of assume her role, and uh, d- some of the different ladies will pick up some of those lines. Some of the different men will pick up some of those some of those responsibilities and duties that uh, that Flora has, and so we'll be able to get it done and still do it. So we got into it. And we started doing the show, and what I realized was um, Flora Long is the voice of reason. <laughs> At the Hoop Dee Doo Review. She is the one behind the scenes, quietly, just Jim is the host. Um, Dolly Drew is also a, a kind of a host. They're 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 similar in their archetypes. 
Um, but you know, Jim is the singer host and Dolly is the, um, the comedic side of, alongside six bits. Um, and then we have their dancer couple of Johnny Ringo and Claire DeLune. And then there's Flora Long that, um, is quietly, like I said, quiet. We didn't realize until she was gone that there was nobody to keep six bits in line. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was just going around doing things and I realized, oh, I need to find my own way to stop myself <laughs> because typically Flora is the one to go, all right, six bits, come on back, stand here, do as you're told, say your lines, you know? And so, uh, Yes, all of that to say, we are incredibly reliant on each other as a cast. Um, it is, uh, you know, I have a theory. The show opened in 1974, and there was a very popular television show on at the same time called uh, The Carol Burnett Show. Mm -hmm. And I believe very much that there was a, because of that style of performing, ensemble cast performing, and Carol Burnett is well on record of saying, my job is to make everybody else look great. And yes, it's my name on the show, but I'm going to make sure that everybody else finds their way downstage center. It's going to be funnier if they say this punchline rather than me say this punchline. If, you know, it's, it's going to be better if everybody else gets their chance. So I think early on there was a, there was an adoption of that mentality for the hoop Doo review of going, how can we shove everybody? We just continually keep pushing everybody else downstage center to shine. And if if there's that continual ensemble cast relationship of going, no, 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 this isn't me. This is you. And them going, no, 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 it's not me. It's you. You you're great in this. OK, I'm going to take this really fast, but then I'm going to get out of the way and make sure that I'm clear for you to do what you need to do. And the ensemble cast is incredibly reliant on each other. The six of us that are on stage, as well as our two musicians and very much our technicians. We have three technicians on the show, one backstage, one running spotlight and one running audio. And it is a it is a group effort. It is a team effort uh, to make that show run uh, the appearance of it's right on the edge of falling apart. It is always <laughs> on the edge of just this show could crumble at any time. And typically that's six bits fault uh, that things are going <laughs> to fall apart. But, yeah, it's uh, we're, we're incredible. And I, I also say very much so that uh, I get a lot of credit for the for the the way that I'm able to make an audience laugh, but man, oh man, does the rest of the cast sure make me laugh backstage. They are so dang funny. And, uh, and people don't necessarily see that side of them on stage. They look at six bits. They look at Dolly as the, the comedy team for the hoop to do review. But what you may not realize is how reliant we are of the rest of the cast, knowing comedy, understanding comedy and knowing, okay, my job is to set up, six bits my job is to set up and do it in such a way to get the 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 optimal laugh um and so we're we're just incredibly we're a family we love each other we like each other um <laughs> and uh it's it, it's an amazing it's an amazing experience stepping on stage and just knowing um yeah, amy poehler had a had a quote of uh of she was you know saturday night not saturday night live and um um, Parks and Rec, Amy Poehler, and she had a had a she said something of um, uh, when you find yourself lost on stage, when you find yourself lost on stage, look into your scene partner's eyes and you'll feel better. And what she was not saying is look into your scene partner's eyes and your scene partner will fix it for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what she was saying. What she was saying was look into your scene partner's eyes and you'll feel better. And by feeling better, you'll be calm. You'll be able to 
gather yourself up and go, okay, where am I? What's happening? What's going on? And all of us, anybody who's been on the stage for any amount of time at the Hoop Dee Review has had that experience of going, okay, uh, I'm lost. I'm just, uh, where are we? What's happening? I've, I've lost my place in the show. What's happening right now? And you look into your scene partner's eyes and they, sorry, I, I, I love these people so much. Uh, you look into your scene partner's eyes and they look back at you and it, it is every single time it is a look of you've got this yeah. and we're here. And I've got you, right? I've got yes. you. I'm, I'm there to, yeah. yeah. I, and that's, you know, that's when I said that, that the show was special. I meant it because, you know, with an ensemble cast, sometimes it's not always like that. There is somebody who wants to sort of be the star of an ensemble cast, but the relationship and that dynamic and, and what, what we as guests I see as the inherent trust that you have with each other, no matter who's playing what role, because you might go one day and, and see somebody in a role, you might go the next day and it's somebody else, but you still get that sense of love and relationship and dynamic between each of you. And and I think, you know, f- for this show too, um, I've seen it multiple times over, over multiple years and me too. <laughs> barring slight change, cause, cause I have to imagine again, it's the same thing. You have a script I'm using air quotes, but you also have some freedom and flexibility to, to ad lib and, and improvise. But one of the things I've always noticed is that you, for the most part, do the same show multiple times per night, every single day of the year. But it always seems and feels like it's the first time you're doing it. And (laughs) it's the most important performance you've ever given. How do you sustain that level of enthusiasm and energy for something that, again, you know, is, we understand it, it, it's not rote, but it's, it's the same thing. So how do you sort of keep that enthusiasm level authentic because you know that the audience can feel it. There's two things for me. Um, so the, yeah, you're absolutely right. The the show is, it's a scripted show and, uh, and we have, we have benchmarks of time, uh, because we do three shows a night. So we, there needs to be time to get this audience out and get the next audience in. And so we have to be mindful of those things. Um, and so it is, it's scripted, it's timed, it's planned. Uh, but at the same time, you are right. There are there are times, there are places. I always say, yes, you can lead the, you can leave the roadmap as long as you know your way back. Uh, <laughs> and so, um, along those lines, I had the opportunity to uh, be with the show, be um, on stage for the 40th anniversary uh, performance, and. Uh, there were a couple of things that were amazing about that. But one of the great things was they brought back the original cast. They brought back the original cast, seated them right in the middle of the house. And we got to in the middle of the show during uh, what is typically the birthdays and anniversaries, we got to go around and introduce the originators of these roles. And I remember when it got time for this is a little bit of a sidebar, but when it came time, I was going to introduce Brad, who originated the role of Six Bits. And I, all I said was, let me talk for just a little bit about Brad. And there was a roar of applause from the audience. And the reason I'm getting emotional about this is because he was, he didn't know it, but he was creating an opportunity for decades and for performers to, he was laying a groundwork um, to create this character 
that people love so very, very much. And that original cast, we were chatting with them afterwards and we were saying, you know, how does it feel to have a show running? This is, this is important. And this is what stuck with me. We asked them, how does it feel to be the opening cast of a show that has run for 40 years? And they said, oh, well, we were never thinking about 40 years. We were thinking about this show and this audience. Mm -hmm. And if you are thinking about this show and this audience, it makes it really easy f to keep it fresh. And for me, um, you know, we, we bust through those back doors, we run up on stage, and we start in on that opening number. And just about every single show, I can look out into the house and I can see somebody with the look on their face of going, okay, hold on, wait a second, this is real. There are actually people singing and dancing in front of me live on stage. I've never actually experienced this. I've seen it on TV. I've seen it in movies. I've never actually experienced it, been in the room when a live show is happening 10 feet away from me. I've never experienced that. And you see their eyes are just big, taking it all in. Sometimes their jaw is dropped going, well, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to process all that is happening right now. So immediately, well, of course, now the show becomes for them, mm -hmm. for me, of going, okay, I'm just going to keep checking in with them, of going, we, you've heard about how amazing it is, how amazing live entertainment is. You've heard about how amazing live entertainment is at Walt Disney World is. I don't want to let you down. Uh, all of those people who told you how great this is, I don't want to make liars out of them. I want, I want you to have the experience that you were hoping to have, even if you didn't know what you were hoping for. I want to give you that experience. And we always say about the hoop Dee Doo review, it's not the best show at Walt Disney World. It's the most fun you ever had. <laughs> and that is, um, that's an amazing mission statement. It's a great uh, way for us to, for us to be able to just go, hey, hey, listen, we're not trying to be the best show. We're trying to give this audience the best time they ever had. So we can let things fall apart a little bit. We can let things go off the rails and bring them along with us for the ride. But and, and, and in so doing, we'll be able to give them the most fun that they ever had. The second thing, uh, doesn't take as long to explain, but the second thing is a lot of young performers will spend a lot of time trying to be interesting on stage. And that is a recipe for burnout. It's a recipe for um, because you get stronger um, and you stop sweating as much and you stop <laughs> you stop being as nervous. And so all of a sudden you're going, wait a second, I'm, I, I need to work. Hard. I'm not sweating as much as I used to. I'm not as sore the next day as I used to be. Well, I, I must not be working hard enough. I have to do more. I have to do more. I have to do more. And what that does is it, it, they're trying to be interesting on stage and put on a show for the audience that is interesting. Mm -hmm. I had a mentor years ago say to me, Rob, um, you're very interesting on stage. Why don't you try being interested? Hmm. And as soon as I flipped that switch, as soon as I changed that mentality of every time I step on stage, my job is not to be interesting. There's enough interesting going on all around us. <laughs> uh, we've got, you know, buckets of chicken <laughs> being thrown all around the, the dining area. We've got a banjo player. Who else? What other show has a live banjo player? We've got a banjo player. We've got a piano player, world-class ragtime piano players sitting there. We've got, you know, all, all this singing and dancing and costumes and comedy and crazy props and all this stuff. All of that is interesting in and of itself. My responsibility is to be interested in it and to point the audience in the direction of paying attention to the things that are most interesting. Thus, 
as long as you're interested, Mm -hmm. as long as you stay in that space of going, I am interested in what my fellow performers are doing. I'm interested in what the audience is giving us as far as their energy goes. I'm interested in all those things. Then it makes it really easy to keep the show fresh. So those are the two things. Well, I think there's something else that Hoopty-Doo has that, that, for the most part, I don't, I don't think maybe any other show has in, in Walt Disney World, which is a sense of legacy, right? Mm. The, the, when you meet the performers that help sort of lay the foundation for these roles and you have to carry that responsibility on, not just for the performers and the people that you're working around, but for, for every single guest that is watching you for the first time or the 50th time, because you know you have mm-hmm. repeat offenders, uh, repeat, <laughs> repeat guests <laughs> who love to come in because this show is so special to, the, to them because I think they do. They sort of form a relationship with you, right? The same yeah. way I think you form a relationship with the audience every single night. 100%. I mean, you know, I get people um, on a regular basis. I'll be walking through the parks or I'll be just somewhere out and about in Orlando and somebody will come up to us and say, Hey, we're fans of hoop. We're, we're fans of hoop to do. And, you know, and they and they know that I don't necessarily know them, but they stared at me for an hour and a half one night, and, yeah. you know, you, they and know you. So, yeah. And so they got to know me, they got to, well, they got to know six bits, which, which honestly is a little bit of an extension of me. Um, but yeah, they, they, they do that. The, um, what you're talking about legacy and I think, um, I'm 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 going quickly through my Rolodex of live stage shows at Walt Disney World, and I believe Hoopty Doo is the only one that is truly a live. And when I say live, it is we're in charge of the timing of everything else. Has kind of a a pre-recorded track, if not a pre-recorded um, um, uh, underscore that is keeping everything moving at a certain time at a certain pace. And it's gonna when the, when you press play on the show, it is going to finish. You know, uh, 22 minutes later, 25 minutes later, 18 minutes later. You're but calling Hoop-Dee-Doo your own has, show, right? You're sort of calling your own show? We, exactly. We're, we are doing it. We, we're building an ebb and flow with the audience and going, oh, you like this kind of joke? Okay. We're going to, everything that's not that, we're going to skip over fly through really fast. <laughs> uh, everything that is that, we're going to spend some time on that. And we're going to let the audience, and again, it's doing this show for this audience. Um the only other, and I would I would bring this up. There's there's two shows that I would point to at Walt Disney World that also have a legacy, and they're atmosphere shows, though. Um, and it's the Voices of Liberty and it's the Dapper Dance. And I think very similarly because they are absolutely live, mm-hmm. and they get to choose how they're going to do their show. Um, you know, Dapper Dance, they walk out. And, you know, there's there's a structure to the show. I also sing with the Dapper Dance. Um, I sing lead with them. And there's a structure to the show. There's an expectation of how the show is going to go. And at the same time, when you see the Dapper Dance, the jokes are going to be different. Mm-hmm. The song order is going to be different. The the song selection is going to be different. The interaction with the audience is going to be different. Um, same with Voices of Liberty. They get to choose. You know, they've got about 80 songs in their repertoire. And you're going to hear four or five of those in the next 12 to 15 minutes uh, waiting for the American Adventure uh, to begin. And so... There, I think people go back to those again and again because they get to know the individuals that are in those shows. They also, um, there is a legacy of it of going, it's up to us to make this show great. Um, it's up to us, the cast members that are in the show, it's up to us to make it great and make it consistently great every time. Because if we're if we don't, we can't point to, well, you know, the track was weird. We can't point to, well, this automation didn't happen. 
No, it's us. And so there is a, a responsibility with those types of shows that are truly live that I think audiences latch on to and they go, oh my goodness, uh, let's go to Hoop-de-Doo again because you never know what's going to go what's going to go wrong. You never know what's going to be different every show. Let's go, oh, let's stop for the Dapper Dance. Let's stop for a song or two. Let's stop, let's, oh, let's get there early for the American Adventure and see Voices of Liberty, listen to Voices of Liberty because we're going to hear something we've never heard before. Um, but it is maintained and built and uh, honored mm-hmm. by the cast that's in place. Can you tell I'm a little bit passionate about no, this? No, and I love it, man. I and I love it. And I can <laughs> see it, and I and and I know you know you who you who's listening can hear it in your voice too. And I agree. But again, there's something you know, hoopty do. You have to you have to work to get to right. You, it's a, you have to pay for a ticket. Mm, you got to take that, that is, bus. It to, is work, to, <laughs> right? You have to work <laughs> to get there. Like you got to really want to see the hoopty do. And look, I, I've I've been. You know, so many times because I, I am drawn to the fried chicken. No, I am drawn <laughs> to the fact that I know what the show is going to be, but I know it's going to be different. And one of the things that, that amazes me every time, and it's a testament to you and the other performers and the, and, and the crew that puts it all together, is this on-the-spot creation of content. Create, like when you're sitting there and you're sort of just randomly going through the audience, the people who are in that audience are not plans. You don't know if the guy is going to be like, I'm from Saskatoon. You're like, Oi, I got to figure out a rhyme to Saskatoon <laughs> and do it like right here. Um, it's fascinating to watch, you know, the wheel spinning so quickly and the brilliance and the humor that comes out of, of these performers that clearly love the, the people who are in the audience and they love what they're doing. I, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're, you're correct. 100%. We love, we love when the audience is an active participant with us. Um, you know, that, that makes to a degree, uh, that makes the job fun and easy and different for us, you know? And so as soon as the audience, now, Listeners, uh, you you don't need to take that necessarily as marching orders. That every time that you go to the Hoop Dee review, you need to be um, shouting things at the at the <laughs> stage um, throughout the entirety of the show. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, when something happens and we all were witness to it, you know, a uh, an interesting story of of an engagement. You know, when we're doing birthdays and anniversaries, and and we'll say, oh, these these two just got engaged. Let's hear the story. And there's you know a fun detail about about that couple, and we're able. Able to then reference that later on in the show and bring that back and just remind the audience of going, A, this is live theater, and also we're doing it just for you. Mm. And we were all there. We were all witness to this fun, funny thing that happened about 20 minutes ago, and here we are bringing it back up again, and it's only going to work in this show. So you you have performed in all of these different roles, um, and I want to talk about some of the things you do outside of Disney too, but anything else. So currently you're, you're, you're still friends with some of these same performers, like my, my main. Yeah. So as you know, my wife and I were, were just in uh, new Orleans and uh, we had been in new Orleans pre pandemic and we went back and visited again. And we noticed we're like, Oh my goodness, you know, it, it would appear they are rebuilding their musician community. Um, they are, uh, rebuilding their their musician community and uh, rebuilding these venues and places for people to go and hear live music again there in New Orleans. And we love New Orleans for uh, for all of that. Uh, but it, it was a reminder of going at Walt Disney World, we are rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And we are rebuilding the 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 number of performers. We are rebuilding the stages um, that that they perform at. And 
so along those lines, there's also, I know that the company has been actively looking to, as best as possible, bring back as many performers as they can. Um, as quickly as they can. And uh, I think that they're actively still doing that and looking for ways of, you know, bringing things back from that were pre-pandemic and the before times, bringing those things back in some way, shape or form, uh, but certainly bringing those performers back. And so um, everything that I used to do, so I was in, uh, yeah, uh, Turtle Talk with Crush and Finding Nemo, uh, the musical and um, uh, Royal Majesty Makers and Dapper Dance and uh, the Hoop to Do Review. Uh, those were kind of my my rotation of shows uh, in the before times. And now that I'm back, um, I came back with the Hoop Dee Review, got brushed up at Dapper Dan's. Um, but truly, my my hope, my I, I don't necessarily want to get back up right away with all of those other shows because I want my friends to come back to work. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's there's a lot of performers, a lot of my friends uh, that are kind of you know piecemealing and uh, subbing here and there for different things uh, all around Central Florida. And I, I, I want them to be able to come back and have a regular place. And so anyway, so yeah, so my mainstays right now are the Hoopty Doo Review and uh, uh, Dapper Dance as well. And so, yeah, back doing those things. So when, when the pandemic hits and the world shuts down and live theater shuts down, um, you know, again, it takes a very long time for that to, to start ramping up. I remember when Hoopty Doo opened up again and what a, a beautiful and special and, and very emotional time it was but i i do feel and i think you do or did as well that sometimes through adversity there's opportunity and 100%. during covid you took what you've learned your experience and your expertise and everything that you have led and created and performed and built something out of it in that effort to help other people as well Talk to me a little bit about what Blue Trumpet Creative is. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> yeah, so uh, like so many people, um, you know, there's this there's this uh, uh, thing with flu-like symptoms that was going around, and uh, and so I thought, you know, I was sent home from work one day, and I thought that I had, you know, the next two weeks off, and so I kind of put out there into the world because it was just this weird in-between time of like, are we going to work? Are we not going to work? Schools were still in session, but also maybe not in the same way. And so uh, I put a call out because everybody was doing um, uh, a, a lot of my, my friends who were, uh, you know, high school theater teachers and uh, college theater professors. And uh, they were needing to kind of take all of their lesson plans, turn them sideways, because now we are, um, now we're needing to to do all of this virtually online. And so I asked the, asked the question, um, uh, just basically putting it out there into the world on the socials. I said, Hey, I have some extra time. If you, um, if to my teacher friends, um, if you need somebody to kind of come in and help kind of do some teaching and some some master classes or some, uh, you know, just some Q&A of the of show business um, and what it's like to to make it in this world um, as a performer, then uh, happy to do that. And so I had some people come along and they said, actually, we have a budget for this so we can pay you for it, which I was very appreciative and thankful for. Um, and slowly over time, the idea of, hey, what are you working on? How can I how can I help? What are you working on? How can I help? And I just kept, because I was bored, uh, you know, I was just sitting at home doing my own thing. And I was bored. And so I was looking for things to do, looking for projects. And 
people started saying, oh, here's what I'm working on and here's how you can help. And so I, I realized I need to be fiduciarily responsible um, for, for some of those opportunities. And so um, in October of 2020, I started the company Blue Trumpet Creative. And Blue Trumpet Creative exists. It is coaching, consulting, and creative development. And the, the coaching part is helping anybody who is stepping on any kind of stage to remove the anxiety, remove the nervousness, and replace it with excitement and joy. And knowing that it is stepping on stage is an opportunity. It can be a joy. It can be a fun thing. And Blue Trauma Creative can help you, um, can coach you, whether it's an audition, a uh, presentation that you're giving at work, um, or, you know, you're pitching a new idea, or you're just going to, you know, Hey, I'm, I want to do a toast at my, um, at my daughter's wedding. Um, we can help to remove that anxiety and get you to a place of preparedness, uh, that, that makes it instead of being nervous. Now I'm excited. Uh, so that's the coaching part. The consulting part is working with teams. I'm a big fan knowing what I've learned from the Walt Disney company and other great companies that I've worked with. Um, but also I'm, I'm just a, a huge fan of, uh, the health, emotional health, the team health, the inner workings, the good health of uh, companies, of what is going on behind the scenes and making sure that they have everything that they need for them to work well together behind the scenes so that what they are giving to their customers, what they're giving to their audience, what they are giving on their platform is the best that it can be because what's going on behind the scenes is healthy and good and strong. And so I love working with teams um, and what uh, the way I kind of talk about it is, uh, you know, helping them uh, find the leadership to uh, to lead their creative, but also find the, finding the creativity uh, to be able to lead their leadership and make their leadership happen as a team. And so that's what the consulting piece is, is working with teams to make sure that they uh, are op operating at their optimal best. Um, and then creative development is just whatever I want to do. Um, <laughs> it's just whatever is left. Um, I, I got a call. Uh, a couple summers ago, uh, last summer, to uh, a, a friend was saying, "Hey, um, there's this girl I've been dating, and uh, I really like her. She's very talented, uh, and I am not necessarily talented the way that she's talented. But I want to ask her this question, and I want to make sure that it meets the standard of who she is. And will you help me create a a proposal that uh, that is fitting to who she is?" And I said, "Oh my god, absolutely!" And so we created a. A um, it was a little bit of a uh, kind of a flash mob where they happened upon some street performers that were playing their favorite song. So of course, um, as they're playing their favorite song, um, well, of course we're going to stop and listen to it. It was a guitar and a harmonica player, uh, and they're playing this song. It was Moon River, hmm. and what they didn't realize while they were listening is that um, all of our friends from the Voices of Liberty uh, were gathering wow. behind them. And, uh, and so when the musicians stopped playing, um, now there was about 40 singers behind them that, uh, picked up and gave lyrics to, uh, in, in their eight part harmony, uh, to Moon River. Um, at which point then once that was done, the guitar picked back up and it was just the two of them, uh, the couple, then and and the guy got to uh, just lean over and and have just a conversation between the two of them, and uh, he got down on one knee and asked the question, and she 
cried and said yes. And he stood up and she and and uh, he said, she said yes, which was their cue to kick back into the key change of Moon River, uh, at which point when that was done, uh, streamers shot off and, uh, you know, and all their friends and family came running in from around the corners. And uh, and it was just a great, great time. Anyway, that kind of stuff <laughs> is what I've, I really enjoy doing with Blue Trumpet Creative. Well, on behalf of anybody who's ever thought about getting engaged, I want to thank you for ruining it for everybody else. <laughs> like the one knee thing isn't going to cut it anymore for anybody who's listening because now you set the you expectation a, level. <laughs> I will send you a link to uh, – we had a video crew there also that was hidden did, in the right? bushes. <laughs> yeah, and so they were hidden in the bushes, not to be seen. Uh, we had a video crew, and it's, uh, I'll send you a link to the to the YouTube clip, and you can yeah, I'll, I'll uh, definitely share, share it with that. everybody. Yeah, but what, what I dig about what – and part of the reason why I wanted to mention Blue Trumpet is because I think – you know, I talk about sort of we're, we're all being in the relationship business, and I think to a certain degree – Everything that we do, right, is sort of an audition for something or or somebody. So having that sense of uh, performative, uh, being performative in the things that we do is is really important. I'm sure there's a way people can apply it to what they do. And clearly, you must never like to sleep, which is part of the reason why I dig <laughs> you, because you also do one of those things called a podcast as well. I do. Yes. Yeah. I have, I have a couple of podcasts. Like, say, uh, I one, looked at your site. You have like 17 podcasts going at once. <laughs> ish, ish. Yeah. Um, so the, the main podcast that I'm, that I'm working on now, um, I do a podcast with my sister called let's talk soon. And on that, our structure, again, my sister being an, being an author and a, a published writer, she, um, she and I, but also then having the history and relationship that brothers and sisters have, um, she's a writer. I'm an actor and director and so we talk about the things that we are reading about, writing about, thinking about, and speaking up about. Um, and then there's a podcast that I do called The Leading Creative Podcast. And it's all of the the lessons that I have learned. Um, it's kind of a solo podcast. Sometimes I'll do interviews with other leaders of creative. Uh, but it's all the things that I have learned about the the principles of leading creative and leading creatives. And, um, you know, that intersection of leadership and creativity, you can have all of the great ideas in the world, but if you don't have the ability to execute on those ideas and lead others in making those ideas happen, then what good is that creativity? Meanwhile, you can have been to all the leadership conferences, read all the books, listen to all the podcasts, have all these leadership principles in your head. But if you don't have anything new to say, anything new to add to the conversation, anything new to bring to the world, then what good is that leadership? So, uh, it's it's that intersection of leadership and creativity that the Leading Creative Podcast is all about. Awesome. I will uh, I will obviously link to your 312 different <laughs> ventures and sites and socials <laughs> that you have for all that you do. Because um, in addition to the titles that I introduce you with, I think Juggler is also one of them too. Because you are <laughs> you're wonderfully juggling a lot, uh, and I think more importantly, Rob, you are. Um, you are sharing your gift of your talent and your expertise and, and with so many people in a way, and it's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on. You, you just put positive stuff out there in the world, man. You make people happy. You make people laugh. You give people memories that will last them a lifetime, you know? And when I say, and I don't, you know, when I say, I think you are the type of, performer and cast member that Walt would be proud of, right? That Because that's what he wanted the cast to be. Uh, I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
So, uh, Rob Lott, thank you once again for coming on. All right, one last question, because I would be remiss if I didn't ask it for you from you. If somebody was like, Mom, Dad, I want to be him. I want to do what he does. I want to be the puppet guy, the performer guy. I want to go work at Disney. I know every role and every person is different, but if you had to give somebody one bit of advice, whether it is a little kid or the person that's been stuck in that career and like, I want to get out of this. I want to do something else. What What's the bit of advice you'd give to them? Uh, say yes to every opportunity that that comes your way. Say yes and pursue every opportunity. Uh, I was told when I first started at Walt Disney World, um, somebody said, Rob, uh, I can tell you are ambitious. You want to do more things, bigger and better things. And so make sure that you set yourself a limit of working at Walt Disney World because you want to do other things outside of here. And so I set myself a limit of five years of working at Walt Disney World. And, but it had a little caveat. It said five years as long as I'm doing, but if I'm doing something new and interesting, then that five year thing starts all over again. And so uh, along those lines, what I was told was say yes to everything for the first five years. And after that, you'll be able to pick and choose. And so for anybody who's wanting to get into this industry, get into the and, and Walt Disney World or uh, any of the other parks um, or, you know, anywhere. There's so many opportunities all around the country to perform. Uh, you, it's best to be in proximity to those locations. Um, it's uh, but at the same time, the world is getting smaller and smaller. And and so a lot of a lot of performing can happen. Stages are all over the place everywhere. And so you can find a place to perform, but say yes to every opportunity that you possibly can get all the experience that you possibly can be kind um, and the, the longevity in this industry is based on your kindness. It's, you can be the most talented person in the world. You're not going to work very long if you are not kind. And so, uh, be, yes, be talented, be in the right place at the right time with the right talent. But once you get there and once you get the, once you get the job, be kind and, uh, and just say yes to every opportunity to get as, get as much experience as you can. I love that, man. It's, it is beautiful and it's perfect. And you know, while we were talking, I'm like, you know what? I think we need to do this again. I think we did a WWE night at the Hoopty Doo before one of the night before one of our group cruises. I think we need to do it again. Forget yeah. about just the cruise. Just sort of get a bunch of people <laughs> together on the floor of, of Hoopty Doo and come out and see you and the rest of the cast and the crew. Uh, Rob Lott, uh, thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate you and and, uh, and your time today. Thank you. It's been a blast. Thank you. Time for our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, hear, or remember. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. Because by being a member of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life all the live broadcasts, the contests, and giveaways, they're all thanks to and buy for, with, and about you. And you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, 
participate in our group video calls, get access to our private Facebook group, their shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks, and other opportunities exclusive to the WWO Nation. I appreciate and I'm grateful for your love, support, and your friendship and your help. And I love being able to give back to you each and every month and say thank you. And of course, don't forget that a portion of your contribution goes to our Dream Team project to help children with life-threatening illnesses through the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. I want to quickly thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including Thomas Freed, Robin Norell, Michael Kell, Zach Brown, Ray Keating, Molly Schultz, and Danielle Ballard. If you'd like to join them, be part of the Nation family and help the show, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back to last week's and select our winner. So last week for our trivia contest, I was thinking about food. Who am I kidding? I'm always thinking about food. But your question last week was to tell me Chef Mickey's, uh, which is now located obviously in Disney's Contemporary Resort, was originally located in what other location? First, thanks to so many of you entered, got this one correct. And some of you shared memories, and even photos of your time at Chef Mickey's when it was located at the Disney Village Marketplace, which now you know as Disney Springs. It opened there in July of 1990. It was originally the Village Restaurant and then closed September 30th, 1995. And then after extensive remodeling, reopened in 1996 as the Rainforest Cafe. And the current Chef Mickey's that we know and love over at Disney's Contemporary Resort opened on December 22nd, 1995. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio mug, a pin, and a mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Kristen Dean. So, Kristen, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. This week... We're going to go back in time once again. Surprisingly, maybe thankfully, it's not about food, but more about a who and a where. Because Bird and Tiger, that were their names, were once the hosts of what show in Walt Disney World? What show in Walt Disney World had hosts named Bird and Tiger? You have until Sunday, August 6th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast. And this week, you're not playing for a mug. You're not playing for a pin. But because this one is a little bit tricky, you're going to play for a prize package that includes mystery prizes from my trip to Disneyland Paris. So good luck, which I don't know how to say in French, and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you again for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Please come be part of the community and conversation over in the WW Radio Clubhouse. It's fun, it's free, it's family-friendly, and a great place not just to talk about anything in the Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars universe, but to make and meet some wonderful friends as well. You can also connect with me on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Threads, Twitter, I mean X, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on the show, you can email me, lou at 
www.radio.com. Or if you want to call in with a comment about this or any of the past shows or a question or just say hello while you're in the parks, you can call a voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. And as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So please check out our events page at www.radio.com slash events. For information about our next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World, it's going to be Saturday, August 19th. Check the page for details, time, and location. You can also find out about other events in Walt Disney World, on land, at sea. And we still do have availability for our WW Radio Nat Geo Danube River Cruise to the Christmas markets this December 9th through the 16th. You can go directly to www.radio.com slash natgeo23 for more information. Please also check out lumangelo.com. In addition to everything I do here at WW Radio, I'm also a keynote speaker, a coach, and a creator on a mission to share the magic of Disney and help entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and business owners launch, grow, and monetize their brand and business through one-on-one coaching, my weekly mastermind group, speaking and events, including my 50-person Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World this September 29th. There are now currently only six seats available, but you can still take advantage of our $100 off discount by using code UNLOCK100. It is a three-day, one-room, single-track workshop where you learn practical and tactical lessons and strategies in interactive workshops, how to apply them to your business and your life through inspiration, education, impact, and community. To learn more and secure your seat, you can visit lumangelo.com slash momentum. And whether you're coming to Momentum, which by the way, is in Walt Disney World, and it's during Food and Wine Festival, there's always a method to my madness. You can go and visit our friends over at mousefantravel.com. They'll get you not just to Momentum or to Walt Disney World or Disney Cruise Line or anywhere in this big, blue, beautiful world of ours. They will not only ensure that you have the best possible experience, but share years of experience and expertise, and it all comes at no cost to you. Again, you can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Tell a friend. If you can, leave a rating review. Screenshot you listening to this or your favorite episode on your phone and share it on social. Tag me at Lou Mangiello so I see it, can comment, reshare it, and follow you as well. If you can leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen, it would be very much appreciated. And finally, and most importantly, I want to say a very heartfelt thank you to you and ask you and remind you to always choose the good and let your choices be guided by kindness and empathy and compassion and be a a, a force, a gentle force for positive change and then watch how your actions create ripples of goodness, not just for the people that you touch, but for those that they impact and so on and so on. Because I promise you, It'll not only make you feel better, but them feel better. And your one small act of choosing and being the good can make a much larger difference than you might expect. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope that this is your best week ever. I hope to see you this and every Wednesday on the live show at WW Radio Live at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. So until next time, see ya. What's up, Lou? We're driving back from Disney. Had a great trip, man. Tried out that Nomad Lounge. We cannot believe those wings. Appreciate the tips. Keep them coming, boss. Roll time. Have a magical day. Hey, Lou. It is Mark Steese. 
Hey, I have been following you since the first episode of Mouse Tunes, and now I'm following you on threads. So one of these days we've got to meet up in person. But I wanted to call about the chilling, thrilling sounds of the Haunted House album, the vinyl. I had no recollection of this being a Disney product. Uh, I wore that vinyl out as a kid every Halloween, decorating my front yard, you know, with the fake ghosts and the the black light and everything. And it was just such a thrill to uh, to hear there was a Disney connection with that. So thanks for sharing that on the most recent episode. And uh, just keep up your encouraging work. Love hearing you every week. Thanks. Bye. Hello, Lou and the team. This is Janet from Tuscaloosa, Alabama here. Thank you for your amazing podcast. I absolutely love listening to your conversations about Disneyland Paris. We didn't move to the United States until 1996, so we were lucky enough to visit Euro Disney several times while we still lived in England, including the very first week it opened. You were talking about the Hyperion, and we were able to see the show there, and it was Beauty and the Beast. My daughter, Samantha, she was about seven at the time, was dressed in her bell dress, ready for the evening, and at the end of the show, thoroughly enchanted, she was waving feverishly to the cast as they took their bow, and Belle blew her a kiss. It was a truly magical moment that I actually caught on camera. Her love of Disney has continued to grow through the years, and she now has a business selling Disney-inspired running skirts. They're the ones with the big bows on the back. Dotty for running, I don't know if you're allowed to say that. Well, on weekdays, it was it was often very quiet in the park, and one evening my husband and I went to get, the, my husband went to get the last ride on Space Mountain, which he still says is the best Space Mountain, and the children and I caught the last, one of the last boats from Small, Small World. Well, at the end of the ride, after you got off the boat, there was a large room with a lovely town of beautiful little buildings, and if you peeped into the windows, there were cartoons of children chatting on the phone in different languages or singing. Well, as we had the place to ourselves, Samantha Harrison and I looked in every single window. But when we came out, however, Disneyland was closed. The Dumbos were all covered up. It was absolutely deserted, not a cast member in sight. Well, we made our way towards the exit where we could see the backs of the cast members linking arms, guarding the archway through the castle. So imagine their surprise when we came up behind them and tapped them on the shoulder. And there was my husband in front of the castle explaining very sweetly in his best French, I told you they were in there. No cell phones in those days. And one last thing, whenever we go, whenever I go on vacation, I always send myself a postcard. And on our first visit to, to Euro Disney, there were not yet any postcards with photographs on, just their artist impressions. So my postcard has the painting of the vision of the most beautiful castle, complete with the square top trees. Thank you again so much. Bye-bye.